The Real Investment Show. Up on Hill this morning in Washington, uh, lawmakers are returning to vote on the debt ceiling lift that will now provide funding for the country through December the 3rd. Now, this is going to increase the debt limit by about $400 billion or so, and this will provide enough spending capacity to basically pay the bills that are due, right? So we don't have to worry about that nasty, terrible default that's going to throw the world into a massive depression, according to Janet Yellen. Of course, that was never the case. Hyperbole is running rampant in Washington right now. But that is, you know, the the kind of the, the statements that get thrown out there to try to scare the American people into to helping push for these ideas. Of course, just as a reminder, the debt limit is there to well, basically control spending a bit. I had a very good question, though. Um, got an email yesterday from a, a nice gentleman, and he said, so, Lance, you talk about the debt ceiling, you talk about the debt. He says, what could we do to start fixing the problem? What are some small baby steps that we can start doing to fix our spending problem? You can't. Uh, that ship sailed. And that ship sailed in 2008 when we stopped passing a budget. So, in other words, how are you going to get spending back under control when you don't even have a budget to work with? Think about your household. If you just come home every day and just spend everything you have and then go further into debt every day just to keep spending what you want, um, but you don't have any type of budgetary control over your system, well, you know, what's going to eventually happen, right? Uh, you're going to wind up bankrupt. And that's th the problem with government right now is that there's no will or incentive in government at this point to actually curb spending. Um, it, is a, it is just basically a bunch of children with an unlimited bank account in Washington going, hey, let's spend money on anything we can think of. You know, I remember as a, as when I was younger, my kids were very small. We would go, you know, go to the toy store for a birthday, right? And, of course, you know, the kid wants everything in the store, right? But you've got to say no. You've got to say no. You can't have everything in the store. You can have one thing in the store. So pick what you want. Get the one thing you really want. That's what you can have. The problem in Washington is, is that, well, they have an unlimited budget now. They can basically buy the whole store. And this is the idea of spending. So can we fix the problem of spending in Washington? Sure, we could. There's just no will or incentive to do it because, again, elected officials only want to get reelected. They're not there to actually do a job. They're there to stay in power. And that means providing the people what they want. And, and so if I want to get reelected, I can't do things like take away money. I can't take away spending. I can't impose budgetary restrictions on things because that'll cost me votes. Even though, it's, even though that it's the right thing to do long term, people don't like that. So unfortunately, the ship sailed for any type of budgetary constraint in Washington. But, you know, ironically, this is how every major civilization throughout history has ended, whether it's the Roman Empire, the British, the Greeks, the French, they all ended exactly the same way. So again, you know, it was a great question, and, and you know, the thought was, was fantastic. And, and, of course, the dream of always is that we can get things back under control. Don't worry, we can turn the ship around. We can't. It's, it's on a collision course that you cannot change at this point. It's just a function of time until we get there. Now, fortunately, this will last a lot longer than you can even possibly imagine. Japan is now running 250 260% of debt to GDP. It's been, a, it's been a, a, a fly in search of a windshield now for the last 20 years. Hasn't found one yet. So, again, these can last an exceptionally long period of time, probably longer than you and I will be alive. And so we're going to be going to our graves, ranting about the debt in Washington and how, how we got here. 
Probably so. Unfortunately, our, our children and our grandchildren will be the ones that have to ultimately deal with the problem down the road. But again, just can't, just, you know, you can't fix that problem. You know, speaking of kids and grandkids, <clears throat> you know, I was just thinking the other day is that, you know, a lot of kids out running around today, you know, kind of appropriating earlier generations, the 90s, right? They, they like the 90s stuff. They like the music, they like the dress, like have it, right? It's all yours. You know, you can have bell bottoms made a, made a return there for a little while, right? <laughs> the one thing that you have that we didn't have is there's no evidence of what we did back in the 90s. There was no cell phones. There was no social media. You know, when we were growing up, the stuff that, there was only one rule growing up. You had to be home by the time the streetlights came on. And if you weren't home by the time streetlights came home, you got your ass beat. I mean, that was pretty much it, right? But that was, that was really the signal for parents. If you didn't make it home by the time the streetlights came on, there was something seriously wrong. They sent the police out looking for you. So, you know, but, uh, you know, that's not the case today. But, yeah, the stuff we got away with, and there is no, thank goodness, there is no evidence of the stuff that we were doing back then. But Statute of limitations has long yeah, run yeah, out. Exactly, has definitely run out. So, you know, while you may get away with a lot of stuff right now, you're going to wind up getting the debt down the road. So it's all good. And welcome back to the show this morning. So a couple of things. So we're getting ready to kick off the Q3 earnings season as uh, we get ready to move forward here. It's going to be interesting because as we begin to hear companies report earnings, one of the issues is going to be the impact of inflation and supply chain disruptions, etc. on margins. Now, Already, if you take a look at what's been happening over the last couple of months, earnings estimates have already been ratcheted down here a little bit as we head into into the quarter, kind of expecting a little bit weaker uh, earnings guidance. And this is the game we always play, right? We start, we throw out big numbers and we say, oh yeah, earnings are going to be $150 a share. And then by the time we actually get to earnings season, right, we're down to $110 a share, whatever it is. And then that way companies can beat earnings estimates. And that's the game that Wall Street plays. But, you know, we're watching that kind of playing out real time right now. But again, one of the issues here is that there is a risk of disappointment this earnings season because estimates haven't come down that much, despite the fact that we are watching Q3 GDP growth dropped to just barely above 1%. Inflationary pressures are remaining much more sticky than what the Fed thought they would be. In other words, transitory hasn't been quite so transitory. And the supply chain disruptions are really causing problems for companies all across the country. In fact, you know, a lot of the major stores right now are, are contracting private cargo ships to kind of work around some of the supply chain disruptions. If you got the money to do it, you can do it. I mean, renting a three-month, you know, renting a container ship for three months is vastly expensive. So you've got to be a big company to do it. A small company can't do it. And this is going to be one of the big problems coming up for Christmas. And, you know, looking at that kind of that view going forward is, is that companies are going to have a couple of problems coming up, which is getting a product to sell. If I don't have product to sell, I can't make revenue. I can have all the demand in the world, but if I don't have any product to sell somebody, I can't make revenue. And that's going to potentially put earnings at, at some risk. So one of the things that we're going to be paying attention to 
uh, very closely this quarter is going to be a couple of things. One is listening to, it's not going to be so much what companies report in terms of earnings as much as it's going to be their outlook on their reports. This is where we're going to start to potentially see guidance uh, you know, guidance and earnings warnings from these companies saying, look, if we can't get product, if we can't, you know, work around the supply chain disruptions, if we can't pass on cost, these higher inflationary costs, this is going to impact earnings over the next quarter or two or three or four. One of the big challenges, <clears throat> of course, is going to be able to pass on higher inflationary costs to consumers. Uh, if you take a look at real incomes, which are incomes after inflation, they've been flat now for the course of the last couple of quarters. So with real income stagnant, costs going up, if, you know, as a, as a business, if I can't pass on higher input costs to my customers, then I've got to eat it, and that's going to impact my bottom line, which is going to impact earnings. So again, there's a couple of factors going on, and some things you're going to want to look at in particular is when a company reports their earnings, how 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 much of that earnings growth came from accounting manipulations, stock buybacks, these type of things, versus how much did their sales actually grow? And that's really the question that you want to be looking at is for sustain, sustainability long term and investing in companies. What is happening with their actual top line sales? Are they selling more product or are they manufacturing earnings at the bottom line through accounting measures and stock buybacks and these type of things? Because that really denotes the difference between a good quality, healthy company and one maybe that's not so much. So again, a couple of the risks that are coming up here over the next quarter earnings are going to be margins in particular, Declining consumer confidence, weaker economic growth, higher inflationary pressure, supply chain disruptions, and very difficult year-over-year comparisons. Because remember, last year at this time, we were having a 30% growth in the economy, a big massive rebound. We had just injected the, the economy with trillions of dollars of capital. So there was this massive resurgence in both Activity and earnings. So the year-over-year -year comparisons now in terms of earnings growth and, and the dollar value of earnings is now getting much more difficult than it was in the second quarter. But the same thing goes with economic comparisons, as income comparisons, all that. So everything that we have going forward now is going to become more challenging because of a year-over-year -year comparison basis. And so it's something to pay attention to. So again, you know, as I was saying, you know, earlier. The market's really been stuck here now for the last really few weeks. And it's important that we try to hold those recent lows that we set really last week, that we maintain those lows. Because if we break those lows, we are going to have a deeper decline in the markets. And we're going to have to kind of reevaluate re our positioning in our portfolios as well. So, again, we own good companies. We like the companies that we own. But there is downside risk here that we need to be paying very close attention to. And this is part of, you know, the analysis that we have on our Technically Speaking post today that we'll get to a little bit the next segment. I'll share some charts with you. 
But, you know, as we look ahead, we can't discount the fact that, look, everybody's very exuberant. Wall Street remains extremely exuberant that this little slowdown in economic activity over the last quarter is just transient, temporary. And that we're about to have a big resurgence of economic growth going into the fourth quarter and into the first and second quarter next year. We'll be growing at 5% economic growth next year. It's not going to happen. Because you don't have the same supports that you had during the pandemic shutdown. Yes, we may eventually get an infrastructure deal. We may eventually get some form of a spending bill. And that will certainly help provide a little bit of input. But the difference is, is that instead of sending checks to households all across the country, this is going to be money that's spread out over 10 years. It's not going to have near the same impact in terms of creating economic activity. In fact, one thing that we do know from history is taking a look at, at things like infrastructure bills and, and other types of, of bills that have been passed and and look at their impact on the economy. Yes, they can provide a very small incremental increase in activity, but not nearly enough to support 4 and 5% sustainable rates of economic growth like economists are expecting currently. That just really isn't in the cards. And so without that liquidity, markets are quickly returning back to normal and economic growth is returning back to normal. And we're going back to normal trends of growth. And again, since a lot of the data that we had was was really pushed well above long-term trends, we're going to get a reversion back potentially below those trends before we kind of normalize back to that regular trend of growth around 2% annually. So we're going to get some volatility pick up. And again, the, the recent decline in economic activity down to 1.3%, according to the Atlanta Fed for Q3 is not really surprising. It's just a return back to normality. It's something we talked about earlier this year. We're looking at year-over-year comparisons. And again, as the economy normalizes back towards, you know, 20, 21, 22 trillion dollars of the economy, creating 5% growth rates is going to be extremely difficult because you're working off a much larger base of, of economic activity. So again, it's just a function of how math works. But expectations are still extremely exuberant here. And again, doesn't mean we can't get there, but we really don't have the underlying input to do it. More debt that we pile on, the more deficits that we build, that actually detracts from economic growth. And again, we've written articles talking about the negative multiplier effect of government spending. You know, it's 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 a little bit baffling that the people that are running our government don't understand that recycling tax dollars does not have a big multiplier effect in the economy. You're simply just taking money from one side of the economy, giving it to the other side of the economy, economy and expecting everybody to spend the same amount. That's just not going to happen. It's, it's really a negative input. But again, we keep trying these things, hoping that they're going to you know, provide a different result the next time. We just never quite get there. But this is, this is kind of the important point now. So, Again, pay attention to earnings here as we start reporting. Now, we're going to get a good, uh, you know, start getting the kind of the early reports this week. We'll get the major banks. Really, over the next couple of weeks in particular is going to be the big bulk of earnings. So, so the big risk to the market 
is really going to start over the next two weeks. After this week, we get into the last kind of week of October and then into November. That's where we've got the real big risk to the markets because, again, either earnings are going to support where we are in the markets and help push asset prices higher or they're not. And we're going to have a bigger correction. And when we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit about our technically speaking report today because maybe, just maybe, our weekly and monthly sell signals are telling us something that we need to be paying attention to. But we'll go through that analysis when we come back. So stick around. We'll get into what our weekly signals are. We'll share some charts with you this morning if you're watching our live channel. Don't worry. If you're in your car driving to work like you're supposed to be, I'll explain them all in enough detail. You'll get it. I'll give you a mental picture uh, of where we are. So don't worry. You're not going to miss a thing. we got you completely covered right here on The Real Investment Show. Uh, the articles are on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Just get by the website right now, and uh, you can download our technical speaker report. Also, we did an, a report yesterday on the 5,000-year view of interest rates of what it means and why interest rates can remain low for a very long time. It's all on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Be right back. I'm Rose Knight Roberts. Of course, it is Real Investment. Hey, make sure that you sign up for our upcoming Right Lane Retirement Workshop. It's at the Dominion in Austin. So if you live in Austin and uh, listen to the show right now and are wanting to know anything at all about retirement, your retirement situation, Social Security maximization, income maximization, how to invest in this current market, um, Medicare, Medicaid, anything you want to know, uh, we're going to be having a live event at the Dominion in Austin. It's Saturday, this Saturday. Um, simply go by our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Uh, there'll be a pop-up banner to get registered. You can also go to the events tab, uh, click on the events tab to get registered. Love to see there. It's absolutely free. Uh, seats are filling up pretty quick, though. We do have a few left. But if you're interested in going, love to have you there. Love to see you. Uh, and again, that's this Saturday at the Dominion in Austin. And yeah, they're probably going to feed you as well. So show up. It's a, it's our most popular class. And again, it, it, it goes through. Nobody's going to be selling you any products or anything like that. Uh, just simply there to provide you information about your retirement situation. Make sure you're doing the right things. Too, many, too much stuff going on in the markets today. Too many people selling annuities and this and that and the other thing. Just trying to sell your product. Make sure you're doing the right thing with your retirement. Make sure you're not making mistakes about your Social Security withdrawals and 401k distributions and those type of things. Uh, those things can cost you a lot of money if you don't do them right. Anyway, that class is Saturday at the Dominion in Austin. Um, so be happy to see you there. Okay. Now that the uh, PSA is done, <laughs> uh, get back to work here. So a couple of things. As I was talking about a second ago, you know, we're talking about earnings. We're talking about the things that are, are, are coming up here. And we do, we have, we have a lot of concerns uh, momentarily. Inflation's a problem. Uh, supply chain disruptions are a problem. Um, you know, declining consumer confidence, weak economic growth. There's a lot of headwinds right now, really, that's facing the market. And you can, can kind of combine all that with, you know, very high valuations in the markets. And, this is not really a great combination. Now, let me just be clear. Does that mean you should sell everything, go to cash? No, this is, and this is the big challenge that we have 
you know, discussing these issues with individuals and writing about it, everybody just immediately assumes, oh, he's bearish. He's not invested. It's not, that's not the case at all. Our portfolios are nearly fully invested right now. But paying attention to risk is what keeps you out of trouble. And that's why we, we look down the road and say, okay, so what could happen that could take away a large chunk of our capital? Look, you know, losing money is never fun, and getting back to even really isn't the whole point of investing. So it's important to kind of understand what these challenges are as we move forward. So uh, today's uh, Technically Speaking post kind of goes through a couple of, of challenges that I think are worth paying attention to. We've talked about earlier this year in particular that economic growth was going to slow. And it was just a function of year-over-year comparisons and just the fact that there's lack of liquidity and those type of things going on in the markets. And that's really coming home very quickly. And, and we were pretty aggressive in downgrading our economic growth projections, but the economy is even slowing more than even what we expected. So... You know, it just kind of goes to show you just how important that fiscal liquidity was. And the problem now is, is that a lot of that fiscal liquidity is, is turning negative. And not just negative in the U.S., it's also turning negative globally as well. So one of the big supports for this market over the last really year or so has been just massive flows of capital into the financial market. So to a degree we've never seen ever before in history. I mean, just trillions of dollars flowing into the equity markets. And this has been a big driver for equities over the course of the last year. But this has been this just this unprecedented surge of liquidity everywhere. It had to go somewhere. And so it all wound up in the markets. And why shouldn't it, right? Because that's what all the central banks wanted. That's why interest rates are near zero. I don't want you to buy bonds with it. I want you to put it in risk assets. And that's exactly what happened. So here we are. Markets are now back to exceedingly overvalued levels. And now we've got to come up with the reasons of support. Right now you've got the Fed talking about wanting to start tapering. I think there's, uh, I think there's a rising probability we may see the Fed back off that taper idea. Even with inflation. Something we'll talk about on Thursday with Michael Leibowitz a little bit more. But, you know... There is certainly enough weakness now showing up between employment and between the economy and, and a lot of other areas that the Fed may say, you know, maybe we just need to hold off here for another month or two and let's just see if things kind of smooth out a bit. We'll see. I think a lot of it will hinge on just how well the markets and earnings do this quarter. But um, again, we'll, we'll know the bulk of that. Um, before we get to the November meeting for the Fed. So again, we'll have some of this, we'll have a much better idea as we get closer to November about what the Fed's going to do, but we're getting there pretty quick. I mean, it's, it's right around the corner. So we've talked about this, you know, we've got short-term daily buy signals. We've been talking about that for the last couple of days. And Again, when we kind of take a look at, you know, the market itself, we're kind of in this view to where markets have had this nice run up and we're tracking along pretty close with moving averages and the, the market's still trending positively, right? We've got buy signals on a lot of different fronts as well that suggest that at least in the near term, 
we should see some upward bias to the markets. Now, again, this is something that is just for now. This is something that could last a couple of days to a week or so, maybe two. One thing that's important, this is one thing that we cover in today's article on the website, is making sure to match duration to your portfolio strategy. If you're the type of person that is actively watching your portfolio every day and you're buying and you're selling and you're making changes all the time, then looking at weekly and monthly charts have nothing to do with your portfolio, so don't even do it. Just stay with your daily charts. But if you're a little bit longer-term investor, if you're, if you're kind of the guy that is looking to kind of buy and hold investments longer-term, like we are, I mean, when we make investments, we like to hold them for a while, then weekly and monthly charts become much more relevant. So it's always important to match your duration to your charting. So when you're looking at charts for any type of clues about to where the markets are going to go and maybe the kind of risk you're taking in your portfolio. And again, let's, let's be very clear about this for a second, too. All technical analysis is, and, and look, technical analysis gets a lot of bad rap from people because like, oh, it's all voodoo, right? It's just a bunch of candlesticks and lines, and that's just because they don't understand it at all, right? In the most, simp in the most simple form, all technical analysis is, is a view about the price of the market. What's the price of the markets doing? Are prices trending higher or prices trending lower? That's what you want to know. Now, why is that important? Because prices are the reflection of the psychology of the market. So let me put it this way. You go to a party and everybody around you is sad and you're running around the party with a party hat on and jumping up and down and, and wanting to play 80s music and dance in the center of the room now if everybody in the house is sad and you're the one dancing around the party is probably you don't realize that you're at a wake <laughs> what what <laughs> What prices tell you is what the market is doing. You may think whatever you want to think about the market short term, right? I mean, you can you can be dancing around with a lampshade on your head, but if everybody else is there is telling you that there's not a reason to be doing that, maybe you should pay attention to the group, right? And that's what technical analysis tells you. It's, it's simply a view of the psychology of the markets. Are the, are the markets bullish or are the markets bearish? That's what prices tell you. So a study of prices helps you understand the risk that you're taking within your portfolio, right? So this is why this is important. And again, you don't have to be a super deep technical analysts it's not even it's just very basic stuff like you look at a chart and a price is moving up or moving down that's really what you want to know prices are trending lower you probably don't want to have a lot of your money invested in equities because you're going to lose money right so reduce some of the risk take some of the money off the table doesn't mean sell everything but again you know we always equate this back to playing poker if you have a really bad hand you don't you don't bet all in on a bad hand i mean you're going to lose and that's the same idea with the markets is that when 
you're investing, you just increase or reduce your bets accordingly, depending on how good your hand is. So again, just being a little bit cautious here is important. Now, when we come back from the break, I want to show you the two weekly chart, the, the sorry, the two longer term charts that are telling us right now that we may have a bit of risk here worth paying attention to. And we'll touch on that when we come back right after the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show this morning. Okay, so uh, just talking a little bit about these longer-term signals. And as I said, you know, in the short term, what the markets are telling us is that there is an upward bias to prices, right? On a daily basis, our very short-term signals say we have kind of more buying power than we have selling power at the moment. That can change. But there's not a reason to be overly cautious at the moment, Longer term, though, there are some reasons to be concerned. And again, we watch these signals very closely. Now, just because these signals occur doesn't mean that we immediately start just selling everything and going to cash because, again, things take time to develop. And again, we were talking about earlier in the last segment, you know, matching your duration is important. If you're a very short-term trader, don't worry about weekly and monthly charts because they have nothing to do with your portfolio. It's just stay with your dailies. But if you're a longer-term investor, particularly if you're kind of one of these armchair investors buy and hold, you really want to pay attention to these longer-term charts because they can help you determine when you need to be a little bit more cautious with your exposures. We've been tracking a set of signals since 1995 that we developed and starting in two and this is what we use to navigate the market downturn in 2000 in 1999 we were going mostly to cash at the time and had very little money in the markets but and this was due to the fact of these signals that we had developed in the mid 90s started working with brent uh, doing a radio show in 2000, 2001. Yeah, it's been that long. <laughs> Back then, we had carrier pigeons taking out the signal. The people. Um, but in 2006, we started actually publishing these signals every week for our for our newsletter subscribers. And so every week in our newsletter, you can find these signals at the bottom of the newsletter. If you go to our website today click on the newsletter link at the very bottom of the newsletter, you'll see this chart that I'm going to share with you. Now, these signals, though, are important because there's two. There's a short-term signal and a long-term signal. Now, these are weekly basis. So the signals only confirm at the end of a week. So we have to wait till Friday, then we can confirm the signal, and it tells us. So, But when both signals are on a cell, typically markets don't perform well. Now, does it, does it mean they crash and have a major bear market? Well, it did once back in 2007, 2008, and it did again in 2015, 2016. Then they did again in 2018 and again in 2020. These signals have been very good about signaling risk-off conditions in markets. Today, we have, as of last week, we have those signals in place, suggesting that there is a risk-off need for portfolios 
in the near future. And this is occurring at a time where the markets are at the top of their long-term trend channel as well, which gives the markets plenty of room to the downside to correct without triggering a bear market. Now, very quickly, what's the difference between a bull market and a bear market? A bear market is not a 20% decline anymore. That's what used to be the cause or, or the, the, the measure of a bear market earlier. But that was when a 20% decline in the market would actually change the previous trend of the market from positive to negative. Now, that's no longer the case. For the market to get back down to the bottom of its long-term bullish trend is about a 30% decline from where we are now. That's just how far markets are deviated from long-term trends. Now, again, that's just a, a function of where we are. And so if we do get a correction... That correction could be as large as 30% without changing the bull market. That's important. The problem with a 30% decline is that you're going to spend a good bit of time just getting back to even again. And again, we go back to the point of that's not really making money. So we have these weekly signals in place. Does that say that you should go immediately reduce a bunch of risk in your portfolio? No, that's not what it means because these are weekly signals. It does suggest that you need to pay a little bit more closer attention to how much risk you're taking. And you may want to consider rebalancing some of your risk, maybe increasing your fixed income exposure a little bit, maybe raising a little bit of cash here or there, stuff that you know has not been performing well. Maybe that's a good time to go ahead and take that off the table. Making small changes. There's no saying that uh, a football game is one on inches. And that's the same way with managing a portfolio. Small changes. The, the One of the big mistakes that investors make is they start trying to make huge, big changes. And they, they make these big changes. And then immediately, the world doesn't fall apart. And so they go, well, that was wrong. So now I'm going to put all my money back in the market. And then the market breaks. Right? And that's the problem with weekly signals. And that's the problem with monthly signals is that these signals take a very long time to mature. And that's why just because you get the signal, you don't immediately go out and sell everything. It's, it's something that you pay attention to. It's like a big warning sign as you're driving down the freeway. There's flashing yellow lights on the side that say, you know, road construction ahead. And then there's another sign down the road. And then there's a guy with flags and you're still driving 100 miles an hour. And there's all these warnings that say you should probably slow down, but you don't. And then there's a sharp right-hand turn with no guardrail. That's what happens to investors all the time. So all these signals mean is they don't mean go slam on the brakes, pull over to the side of the road and light your car on fire. What it means is just slow down a little bit until you get a reversal of the signal. Now, when these signals become important is when signals are getting confirmation from each other. So if we step out to a, a monthly measure. Now we're looking at a monthly chart. And so now the only time that price changes matter is on the last day of the month. So on the last day of September, we actually triggered a sell signal on a monthly basis. So this is where it gets confusing. Lance, we've got daily buy signals, 
We've got weekly sell signals, and now we have monthly sell signals confirming the weekly. We should all be in cash, shouldn't we? No, that's not what that means. On a short-term basis, markets are supportive. So we want to participate on a monthly basis right now, but we want to be aware that the longer-term signals are in place suggesting that there is underlying risk in the markets. In other words, the markets are telling you they're concerned about economic growth, consumer confidence, earnings growth potential, valuations. That's what the market's telling you. The last time that we had monthly sell signals in place was in February of 2020. The only other time before that was going back to December of 2017. And before that was in late 2014, heading into the 2015-2016 double correction that we had. So again, these signals can come early and you may disregard them because well, Lance said there's a monthly sell signal and nothing happened. The signal that occurred in late 2014, there was very limited upside to markets after that. And then you went through double back-to-back -back declines. If you would have sold out entirely in 2014 and came back into the market when you got a buy signal, which was in about March of 2016, you would have missed nothing because the markets were lower than where the signal was when it triggered. But again, for most individuals, they can't go sit out of the market for, you know, a year and a half waiting for the signal to reverse. And that's why it's important to, you have to measure what these signals say relative to your portfolio outlook and what your duration is. But the big reason that technical analysis gets a bad rap is because people don't really understand what those signals are trying to tell you and how to utilize them within your portfolio management process. Again, just because you get a signal doesn't mean that you just sell everything, go to cash. That's a mistake that people make because immediately if the market doesn't immediately resolve itself into a correction, well, then obviously the signal was wrong. It's all voodoo. doesn't really matter. doesn't work. Technical analysis is stupid bunch of squiggly lines on paper but more often than not again let's talk about the signal in uh, tw late 2017 so december 2017 you get a, a money flow sell signal on a monthly basis market runs up has a huge run in january of 2018 it's like well pfft, obviously that signal was wrong then you lost 20 percent of your money and then you lost another 20 percent going into december of 2018 Then you get a buy signal in January of 2019. Put your money back to work. You're right back in the game. Then you get a sell signal in February of 2020. Pfft, who cares about that? You miss the whole downturn. So again, sometimes these signals are very, very close to accurate in terms of being right on time. But more often than not, these signals tell you a lot about how much risk you should be taking your portfolio over the coming months. And right now, what the signals are telling you is that there is risk to the markets over the next few months from a whole variety of different areas. So it might be worth being a little bit more cautious, 
Yes, you may give up some returns if the market goes running off to the moon. I don't suspect that's going to happen. Not at this juncture and not without more liquidity. Anyway, that article on the website now explains the whole thing. Go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. It's on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. It's our technically speaking report. If you're a subscriber to our email list, which you can simply do at our website just by subscribing, um, we'll email it to you um, here in just a little bit. You'll have it in your email box too as well. So again, go by our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. And also check out our daily commentary. That's up now. And our three minutes in markets and money will be out here shortly. Don't go away. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye. It's a rich man's world.